0: welcome to the mfa made for agriculture podcast here are your hosts adam jones and cameron horine
1: all right folks welcome to another episode of the made for agriculture podcast uh, my name's adam jones and i'm cameron horine going back to when we originally started recording uh this podcast it was really about um like diving into some of the conversations that we get to have um, working for MFA, working in the agronomy industry that, that I think just are sometimes absent out there on the landscape, and really about kind of furthering our learning about agriculture in general, how to be better, um, how do we continually be better. And I'm super excited about our conversation today because it's it's something that I will admit up front. So in a lot of the other episodes, I think Cameron and I know enough to be dangerous, which is... Um, That's very true, I would agree. <laughs> it's kind of how i uh it's kind of how i run uh but this one i barely know enough to even say that i know anything which is why i'm super excited about our guest today and uh what i think you're going to pick up from from this podcast so today we've got with us uh eric williams uh director of our grain division at mfa and and eric you want to introduce yourself just kind of give us a little little background of kind of where you came from and sure well i cut my teeth here at mfa in 2001 Uh,
2: spent a little time in transportation and moving on to uh, the grain division, Uh, worked in the grain division for almost uh, uh, three years before uh, moving on to to other, uh, moved down to Florida, uh, got back in the grain business in Katoosa, Oklahoma, working at a barge loading facility uh, and then also trading cross-country corn uh, for the Springdale market. Uh, did that for three years, then moved to Indianapolis, worked there for a year working for a container company, so selling containers to Southeast Asia. And I originated the, the grain that went into those containers out of Chicago, Kansas City, uh, off the East Coast, and uh, the P&W. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I went to work for Gavilon. Uh, DeBruce and Gavilon merged while I was at the container company, and so they had opportunities elevators Gavilon did in in, uh, Indiana and so I ran a uh, a shuttle loading facility for Gavilon for three years uh, close to a town called Rushville Indiana and then um, my wife and I had an opportunity to come back home Missouri and uh, and really come back home as far as MFA so um, to where it's all started and and I started back here in June of 14 and then um, and then here we are today
0: yeah, <laughs> perfect. So, glad to see that you've been well traveled and made your way back.
2: Yeah, well, tell you if you'd asked me, uh, you know, before when I first moved out of Missouri, a good friend of mine was just like, I can't believe you moved out of Missouri because I pretty much was a homebody. But so, but yeah, glad to be back though.
1: Yeah, it's always it's always good can, when you can make that full circle in a in a career. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah never thought i would want to be back on the farm you know when you're in college it's just like life changes you know and, and and so some of those full circles are interesting It just yeah uh, i think the the older you get it seems like this is way a generality but the older you get i think the more you kind of want to be back closer to home you can appreciate it a lot more that's for sure yeah i think that's that's what it is <laughs> yes um a lot of the stuff that we're going to ask you eric and, and kind of discuss today um really kind of about grain marketing and i, and I think it's one of those things that on the agronomy side of things, and I'm sure Cameron can add to this, but on the agronomy side of things, it's like, we don't, it's just not a focus. You know, it's like the focus is produce more bushels, not what you do with those bushels. Uh, But I think what you actually do with those bushels and obviously how you market those bushels has a whole lot to do with your overall bottom line as an operation. So I think it's a way overlooked aspect, uh, you know, of, of agriculture and grain production
0: in Missouri. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, like you said, Adam, you know, we're trying to push guys to gain more bushels and add more bushels. And, you know, sometimes we're throwing on, you know, we need to add a fungicide or we need to add this foliar nutritional, you know, to be able to help push those markets, you know, your yields. We got to be thinking about those producers are also looking at their bottom line and they're looking at the grain markets as well and trying to figure out where's my operational costs and where am I going to be able to, you know, make this work. And so, it's something we need to understand a little bit better of. So when we are trying to have a conversation with guys, we can kind of help um, tread that line to make them, you know, profitable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. first off, Eric, just just some background stuff. As, as far as marketing decisions go, when we look at, you know, forwarded, contracted grain, um, you know, no matter what kind of contract that may be, do you have a any insight on maybe like, When it comes across the scale in the fall like what percentage of that grain has been forward marketed and what what percentage of it is the producer just coming in and and dumping and taking cash price that day
2: well so it's it really depends on the year so this last year we had a higher percentage of grain that just got sold across the scale so as it's coming in it's getting sold and that's just indicative of where the price where they were where prices were to where they were come harvest time right and they've continued to rally of course We can all hindsight trade and just say, hey, you know, all these guys that sold at harvest time or shortly afterwards or even before now didn't do the right thing. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, just like in anything, you know, in any aspect, you know, you're playing the averages. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, whether you're talking about plant foods, you know, as far as that, you know, we're making wrecks. you're going off what's the average. You know, this is, you know, if you consistently do this, you're going to be doing you know better and when we're oh. trying to develop a marketing plan for farmers um you know it's not a one-size-fits-all just like it's not for you know for, for the producers when it comes to you know whether plant foods crop protection just you know you got to look at all aspects as far as you know um you know what's their what do they've got in the, uh, already in their yeah. ground uh yeah. what are they good at where do we need to work at um, and we try to do that when we're developing a grain marketing plan. The problem is, is that, you know, with volatility, um, you can't really say, you know, you could say, well, you know, you just sell five and a half dollar corn, you know, it's going to get there. No one knows that, you know, just like we don't know what rain is going to come. So, sure. mm-hmm. um, so trying to be more consistent with a marketing plan as far as, Hey, we consistently want you to have the majority of your crop marketed. Uh, maybe 50%, maybe, you know, 60% before a combine even rolls in the field. Um, That makes a lot of producers uncomfortable when you say that. Because what if I have a windstorm? What if, uh, you know, know, well, you know, you're consistently marketing throughout the course of the year. So you might be marketing right now for not 2021 crop, but 2022 crop, but just small percentages like, Hey, I'm only going to sell, you know, three bushel to the acre on corn, you know, uh, if I can target this price. Um, and of course, you know, a a lot of that also depends on the the farmer's needs, how, how leveraged they are as far as from a capital side of things, you know, um, someone that's highly leveraged that, you know, the cash crunch comes a little bit quicker than others, then, you know, we might have a little bit more aggressive marketing plan than say others. Um, those kind of things are very hard and and take lots of time to kind of develop, you know, and a lot of producers, you've got to find out what their comfort level is. You just, you know, like my father, I would encourage him to to market grain ahead of time, and he never would sell a bushel before the combine <laughs> rolled in the field. He wanted to see that. Yep. Well, you can still deal with that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, sure. anybody that did the exactly what I just told you as far as, you know, having 50 to 60% marketed, they would have got burned last year. Because, yeah. But consistently, I'll be right by, by preaching right. that. But last year is an anomaly to where, you know, coming off COVID and having that, if they had marketed their grain, you know, got it marketed and had half of it sold before the combine rolled in the field. They'd be cussing me out today. Oh no, so, sure, I've but heard,
1: I've heard some of those. Not cussing you out, yeah, but yeah. I haven't heard that today yet. But uh, but I've heard the yeah the the horror stories of you know contracted eight dollar beans sure. or whatever you know when the when the cash price was eleven that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, we, we can consistently look
2: at, at the markets and, and and go back and look and say, hey, we should have sold here, you should have sold there. But you know, there's not a true, but one consistently stays the same over time the ones that focus and market out forward are able to take advantage of you're usually they're averaging out a higher value than someone that's playing in the nearby market just like whenever i need money or whenever i um you know whenever it suits my fancy they don't really have a, a marketing plan in place it's just it's more of a cash crunch whenever i need money i use it as a piggy bank that then so and that's what we try to make sure that we're I'm not saying that you don't use a some percentage of your crop that way, sure. depending on your cash right. needs, but let's not do it for the whole crop,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. It sounds like it's kind of like if you're in the stock market, you know, you're going to have Correct. some mutual funds and you're going to have some individual stocks, Correct. you know, so you have some high volatility. Scatter your global. risk, exactly. Yep. So, so let's. I mean let's maybe get into the basics of it. And I know a lot of the trading is based on basis. Correct. Um, so let's kind of go into what basis is and kind of, you know, the difference between how you use that to market your call.
2: Sure. So, um, you know, the, the CME, the Chicago Board of Trade, um, you know, has uh, different futures months that trade on a regular basis. So right now, um, you know, if you wanted a new crop bid, well, that's going to be based on a different futures quote than what you say if you went in to want to go sell, you know, corn or beans right now. And that's going to be based on more, you know, the nearby month. And then there's the summer months. And then you've got, you know, um, you know, there's just a lot of different months that are traded on the Chicago Board of Trade. And really what basis is, cut and dry, is just the difference between what, you're, what you can get for your cash grain versus what that futures board is. So like right now for soybeans, we're actually trading cash grain above the board. So you go to your local elevator and say, hey, what can I sell cash grain at? They might say, hey, it's 10 cents over the board. That 10 cents is the basis. So, and really that just reflects, basis reflects margin and freight. So whatever the best market to get that grain to, that's uh, whatever freight it is to get there, and then minus your, your and then the margin that you're expected to take. That's really what a basis, you know, comes down to. But essentially, it's it's the difference between the cash price and the futures price. So, um, basis isn't really um, something the farmer focuses on because you can own there's not a, there's volatility in basis, but there's not near as much volatility in basis as there is a board. So you might pick up 10, 25 cents over the course of the year on basis, but you picked up $4 on beans, you know, on the board. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, um, so, you know, they're more focused on what's happening on that Chicago board of trade. Um, You know, the, the problem that we run into is, is, is some years there's a big discrepancy between what the Chicago Board of Trade shows and what the actual cash price is. And that's usually a reflection of true supply and demand. So if the market's oversupplied, basis will fall, will be down. So okay. at harvest time, you typically have your cheapest basis values because mm-hmm. there's a large supply that's hitting the market and the demand is is limited. All right. um, you know, 2012, you know, that would be one of those years where you saw basis really high at harvest time because no one really knew, and so they wanted to get their hands on it. And so you could capture values, you know, yeah. relatively high in relationship to the board versus a normal year, whereas, you know, like... Like, like 2014 year, or last year. Yeah, you'll you'll have basis values where, you know, the average price in Missouri for uh, a grain elevator might be 70 cents under the board for soybeans, um, you know, so... And that's just reflective of, hey, it takes me 30 cents to get it to Kansas City, and they're paying 40 cents under. So I'm just bidding freight off of Kansas City, hoping that the basis will come later. So, but, but essentially that's how we, that's what we market on behalf of the, of our elevators out there is, is just the straight basis. So, and we achieve that by whenever the farmer's selling grain at like say harvest time. And, and so we turn around then we buy the cash grain from the farmer and then we sell futures Uh, and that completes that hedge so we bought cash grain at eight dollars and we sold 870 on the board so we capture that 70 under you know at minus 70 under the futures Um, and so at some point you know we have when we go to sell the grain ourselves we'll buy the futures back at that time and unwind that hedge so this just protects MFA from say hey uh, we bought eight dollar beans, and we're just going to ride that. Um, but if the board goes to seven dollars, then we would eat a dollar of it. So this protects us from that price fall. But then again, we don't get to participate in any like huge price upswings. But most banks require grain elevators. If they're lending you money, they want to see that you run in a hedge position. They don't want to see you speculating the market yeah. because basically the, just holding that grain. They don't way. want that risk. Yep. right. Because you know, there's a lot of risk involved, especially sure. in extremely volatile years. You could bang the gong, but just like you know, you go to the boat, you
1: could <laughs> you could you could lose the farm too. Yeah. So you know, yeah. that's what they're trying to we're trying to avoid right. is losing right. the farm. So right. so with that defined, um, I think a, a good next step would be if if somebody walks in the door and asks about contracting some grain for say this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, what are his contract options? I know like, you know, there's there's cash contracts, there are basis mm-hmm. contracts, there's, I think, average price contracts. Sure. Um, kind of, can you kind of lay out what his contracting options are and, and how each of those kind of works? Sure. I mean, cash being obviously the simplest, but. Yep.
2: Yeah, so cash is probably, you know, 75, 85% of what Farmers' market is just okay. cash grain. Tell me what the cash is. I don't want to mess with all these other contracting options, and that's pretty vanilla. Yeah. So it's just like what you'd say, "Hey, what are you bidding for new crop?" Okay. So, um, you know, and and just from a straight contracting aspect, you know, we can you know just say, "Hey, this is what it is. Uh, this is the price. So your cash grain's worth four fifty for new crop. So for corn, um, but then." you know, for something so far out, you know, you, as a grain elevator, you have to at least manage the risk of owning something that far ahead. Because, you know, the USDA says we're only going to plant 91 million acres. Maybe, what if we have a wide open fall here, or wide open spring from here on out, and we plant 93, 94 million? Well, basis will be affected in that new crop. Sure. If we truly only raise $91 million, then maybe we see a higher basis value at a fall. Um, but if we raise 93 94 then maybe we have a historically low basis. So you kind of have to price protect yourself. And so, you know, from a grain elevator standpoint is I'm going to cheat towards that bigger number, not because I'm trying to cheat the farmer. I just have to price. I just don't know. There's too much uncertainty so I'm going to have a historically low basis probably here for new crop, uh, depending on what competition does and everything else. I mean, sure. We've got some competition out there that might be throwing out something that's, that's a little bit higher than historical values. But for the most part, that's most of the time what they're figuring on. So that's where I would suggest maybe for a new crop, well, hey, listen, if you're willing to take the risk on yourself, farmer, then because I'm giving you on a historically low basis, let's just lock in the futures because that's the majority of what your price is. So, if you're selling five dollars for new crop, you know futures, and we're bidding you four fifty, then we're fifty cents under the board. That might cheat up to like forty, maybe twenty under, uh, or thirty under. You know, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I'm giving you an historically low basis. So maybe just lock in the five dollar futures, and let's see as we get closer. Let's see if my basis firms up as we get a little bit more certain out there sure there is the risk that i go to 60 under the board or 70 under the board and you still need to lock it up but you know at least just having the futures locked up you've got at least that portion the biggest portion of what you want and historically you're going to be better off probably just waiting versus the basis i'm showing you today um you know a basis contract typically is done like right now like farmer hey i want to before i go to the field I wanna have my grain out of my bin. I don't wanna to have to fight what the summer brings. Everything's heating up, cooling down, heating up, cooling down. I don't know what that corn's gonna look like. I don't wanna fight that. Let's just go ahead and, and do it. But I don't necessarily need the money or I think futures are gonna rally even more. Okay, well let's just lock up a basis. Um, and so that's when they lock up just just that basis portion and then still futures are still open. So if the futures rally up, um, you know, then they'll be able to participate in that. Now the kicker is if they fall, then they they participate in that too. (laughs) So the the biggest dangers with a basis contract is that not having a price target in mind. Or, and that can be said with a futures contract as well, just futures only. But um, there's not as much risk with a futures only because your basis swings aren't as big as what a board swing is. So the basis contract holds a little bit more risk from that standpoint. And that's where I'd, Always encourage producers. If you're going to do a basis contract, give me price targets. Let's go ahead and put those in and get those at least. We at least have those. You know, is the plan to sell five dollar corn? Is it to sell five fifty corn? Or let's have realistic goals. Let's not throw it out there and be like, well, if it gets to eight dollars, I'll sell it then. So, <laughs> you know, let's right. put realistic goals in there and yeah. not. And you can break it out and sell however much you want on a on a, on a basis contract. You could do a thousand five hundred at a time. Whereas a futures-only contract, the uh, the CME the uh, contract's five thousand bushels. When we sell on the Chicago Board of Trade, it's it's five thousand bushel increments. So we usually, especially if it's something way far out, like a year out, we might ask that they do five thousand bushel increments or at least three, um, so that we're able to sell full contract and not have all that that risk involved right. uh, that we're carrying as a company. So those are your pretty much three main contracts kind of um, you know a, a cash contract a basis contract and a futures only contract there's several other ones you mentioned the average price contract you know we we run uh, as a company just one average price contract where we lock in the futures every day for, for a certain period of time so Um, you know, we're talking about averages earlier as far as like, we just play the averages. Well, you know, 70% of the time, if you have an average or above average yield, um, your best prices on corn come between March 15th and June 15th. So we have an average price that we're locking up. The elevators are, are, are getting producers signed up, um, for that prior to March 15th. And then every day, uh, at the, just before the close, our hedge desk sells X amount of, you know, that's broke out per per trading period. You know, so if there's 56 days, the market's trading in that period between right. March 15th and June 15th, where whatever number we pull together, two million bushels or whatever it might be, divided by 56, and that's how much we sell every day. Hmm. So uh, during that time frame, and so at the end of it, they have a futures price that's an average of that time frame. Now, if they had done it last year. Last year was, the, you know, one of the rare cases where, you know, you had an above average crop, but you're, you actually, you know, you're, you were better off selling it at harvest versus that time frame. Sure. So, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, all to do with COVID for the most part.
1: Right. <clears throat> Interesting. So how far into the future do you usually see most guys marketing or recommend most guys marketing? Um. You know, as you you definitely hit a chord earlier when you said a lot of guys aren't comfortable with the, even being sold fifty percent for this year's crop. You know, at, at before prior to before harvest, and yeah, I think to to my family it was the same way. Like we just yeah, very rarely did forward marketing. But I know some guys are, are multiple years out ahead. Like sure. you know, what's what's your all's typically take on on something like that?
2: Yeah. So um, you know, I think that you have to know what your cost of production is.
1: Sure. So I
2: think that's key. Um, you know, I think mo- a, a lot of people don't really, they kind of know they have it in a ballpark as far as, but they don't maybe think on a per yield acre basis. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, their seed fertilizer, urea prices where they're at right now. I'm like, that's really high. So, um, you know, uh, seed costs or whatever they say, you know, that they've got a pretty good idea of what's high and what's low. And, you know what's a fairly good deal but knowing what that overall price per acre that it is so and then let's start managing that yep. so from that aspect of it at least that's how i try to tackle it um you know as far as you know it might be that you know says i gotta have five dollar corn in order to make money based on what my input costs are well do you have that broke down is that really true right and it's, of course it's going to be based on yield too so you know it's using a lot of averages as far as like my average yield on this farm is 150. um okay well at four dollars you know maybe that's break even. you know at where your input costs are at so let's target and stair step above that so as long as we can uh, get cash prices or maybe you know and let's look you know out forward and make sure and like i said it's all baby steps so for the most part you know, a lot of producers sell roughly a half a dozen times a year. Usually, those get sold at harvest, sometime after the first of the year, um, sometime around just before they go to the field, sometime in the summer when they feel like, like late like June, early July, when they see that the crops up, it's tasseled, it's, you know, they feel like, feel fairly comfortable, and then just before harvest. And those are kind of the key times where you'll see maybe historical basis values fall. And you don't want to be put in a situation where, hey, I've got to be, I'm going to have to sell some in June um, or I'm going to have to sell some uh, after the first of the year and waiting until after the first of the year to do it. Because then you're at the mercy of wherever the market is, no matter what your cash crunch is. So trying to avoid those situations where you might have more to sell, but I've already got contracts for you where you're making money uh, in place already, Mm -hmm. where we know you're profitable. So we've got those. So you're not at the mercy of the market when you get there because you know you're going to need money Jan 1 or sometime in January. You know you're going to need money at the end of December. We know we've got profitable values. And if the market's higher at that time, then, hey, you can sell some more there. But at least we're not putting you in a situation where you're forced to sell into a market when it's
0: lower because
2: you need the money.
0: Yeah. Right. So, you know, talking about futures it's you know and we you know those prices do change a little bit i mean i think the volatility is not nearly as high on future contracts as it is cash prices but do you have the opportunity you know say you future contract something out and then you know you saw the price maybe change two months later do you have the opportunity to transfer those contracts or
2: yeah so if you do like for instance there's there's flexibility with like a basis contract uh with a futures-only contract, the only one that you don't really have a lot of flexibility on is a cash contract. So, right. if you have a cash contract, that's the cash price you're going to get. The board we've already sold futures against that because we bought the cash from you. Um, you know the basis is locked up. Um, you know you're you're at. There's really not a lot of you, you can adjust delivery times so that it more accommodates you. But if you have four-dollar corn sold for October, November, and you get there and you don't need to move it. Um, we could possibly adjust it further out depending on the elevators to arrive situation and maybe they give you a little bit more appreciation and basis for holding that um, but a lot of times if if you don't need to move it the elevators doesn't need to move it and they'll just say we just bring it on in because you know we've got plenty of space too but if the elevators not then mm-hmm. you know so there might be a little flexibility with the cash contract in that regard um, basis contracts are based on, you know, you set it versus a certain futures month. So, you know, if you did a basis contract that you said, hey, I'm going to deliver it, you know, in May, then we would set it versus the May, um, the May board. But if you got there and said, Hey, listen, there's big carries in the market, you know, it's worth more for July. That's not the case this year, but you know, it's worth more. Um, then that'll take away from the basis value because it's higher, Mm-hmm. Um, than where you were supposed to deliver it at, and we might already have basis sold against that. You know, this year you would actually say, "Hey, I've got a basis contract at say, let's, um, you know, that's twenty cents under the May board, okay, for delivery." But you look at July and the July May July spreads at at a fifteen cent inverse. So that means July is worth more than what May is. Well, now that basis contract, you know, we could say, "All right, twenty cents under the board." We can add fifteen cents to it. Now you're five cents under the July board. So, you know, so and then you have until July to deliver it. So, um, you know, you can work those flexibility, those things kind of out. Uh, there's a little bit of flexibility with those. The thing is, is that you know we encourage and we really uh, don't even allow rolling from one marketing year to another, and mostly because you're you're typically racked with like this huge. Um, you know, inverses in the board um, or, or carries in the board that like, hey, you know, it's going to, it's going to paying you to sure. carry it forward. You right. Know. Um, you know, a futures only contract, some people handle that a little bit differently. Um, if you have futures set versus the November board, that's the beans are traded versus the November for a new crop. Um, and then you see that there's, there's big carries in the board and you want to go ahead and take advantage of that. Cause you like, Hey, I, I don't need to move this until after the first of the year. I want to go ahead and roll this out to like the March or the May or, or the January. Then you actually can get those carries. Um, you know, there's always a fee involved because we've got to buy futures and then sell futures back out, uh, at a higher value. But, you know, typically those are, are, those are modest, um, you know but it's going to depend on the elevator if they were if they were had stuff sold against that contract that you had to deliver in october november and like hey i really needed that those bushels to come in to cover my contracts that i've already sold because i was banking on all those so uh, maybe they wouldn't necessarily allow it then but for the most part there's flexibility with those uh, to where an elevator can work with a A farmer to like hey if you don't need to move it you got plenty of space at home we can go ahead and roll that thing out until after the first of the year or whatever Mm -hmm. so that you can capture a higher basis value and i'll give you some of the carry too
1: yeah i think a lot of what you've mentioned is having a good relationship with somebody who as a merchandiser knows what's going on you know in the marketplace and how to make those moves and knows your operation enough to knows knows what your you know what your on farm storage is, maybe like what you typically produce. And you just you you know you mentioned having the relationship where maybe you're comfortable um, sharing and knowing what a profitable level for a grower may be and, and all those kind of things. Um, definitely seems like it would pay to have somebody on your side as far as where you market where you typically market your grain sure. and, and having that relationship Absolutely. built up.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and we've got some really good uh, folks out in the field as far as that, uh, you know, at least from the grain origination side, uh, for sure that we keep in constant contact with in, the, uh, in here. And then uh, a, a lot of our, our managers are, um, you know, very versed in it. Some are a little green. You know, I, I would say that probably as a company, we, we tend to focus more on the, you know, when we're looking at, at, at managers because and, and the vast majority of our business revolves around increasing production whether it comes to seed and, and so the knowledge in those fields sure. is definitely you know needed for that role um, and and maybe we have a little bit of work to do as far as like from a grain marketing side um, you know our, our biggest competition you know are solely focused entities where they're solely focused on plant yeah. foods or crop protection maybe yeah. both of those but mm-hmm. you know or a seed company or yeah. just a grain company yeah. um, and so you know those become challenges but you know, that's where I would encourage any of our assets out there um, to utilize the grain division, um, you know, even uh, reach out to a grain originator, even if they're not in necessarily in your area, because um, they would love to pass on, help out producers in any way as possible. And, and that's one aspect of the business where uh, Tyler Francis, the, our, our manager of grain trading and, and myself, we don't get that every day one-on-one interaction with producers and
1: and so when the opportunity arises, we're more than happy to do it. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, I mean, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it. It's it's just, it's hard. To, there aren't experts in everything running around out there, right. you know, like it's just everybody kind of has something that, you know, maybe they've tagged onto and, and have so much expertise in. And it's, it's when you look at somebody, you know, running a larger grain agronomy feed location, my, my goodness, you just cannot, as one person, know everything about every aspect of that entire business now if, if you're only cp then yeah you definitely can but it's, it makes it very challenging oh my gosh yes so um <clears throat> can you talk just for a minute about um you, you mentioned you know a game of averages and, and kind of knowing where your price is at knowing where your break-even yield may be and break-even price it seems like things have changed as far as uh, on the crop insurance side of things where that can help us out a little bit from a grain marketing strategy. And I, I don't expect a, you know, an RMA answer here, but just kind of generally, um, how are guys using crop insurance to, to kind of help guide those decisions just kind of from the 30,000 foot level? Sure. Well, <clears throat> so there was two
2: options with the crop insurance you can go with either production, production, protection, or with Uh, price protection so Mm -hmm. it just depends on you know which side you you air on with prices as high as what they are I think you know probably more on a uh, on a on a production protection you know level things don't look like they're you know where they're where they're at least sitting at and I think producers have to I don't know that all the crop insurance side, um, you know, when they have to make those determinations, but I think it's well ahead of when they start planning they sure. to yeah. make that, that call. Yep. Um, but, you know, at least from, you know, I think end of February, and I can't remember if it's the end of September of when they, when the, um, the crop insurance levels are, are made, based on the Chicago Board of Trade for right. new crop. right. Um, but I mean, right now for where we're sit at at the end of February, it looks pretty good. Sure. Um, but you know, there's tools out there to encompass all aspects of it. I mean, it can get pretty complicated when you start factoring in, uh, all the different contracts, not just the plain vanilla three that I gave, but yep. you know, they have over the counter structures that, that, that incorporate with crop insurance with, um, you know, uh, that even tie into what, you know, our, our precision farming, you know, as far as, and, and wrecks that are made, it's like, Hey, listen, if you bump up your insurance to this certain level, then you're going to be protected to the high side, you know, versus a low side or vice versa. You know, um, if you made another pass, you know, <clears throat> you know, in your, uh, in your crop, uh, you know, production plans, as far as, you know, made another pass with you know uh, uh, another shot of you know a fungicide or, or something along those you know those lines, you know, along with your insurance and where you've got all your contracts currently, then you know you you know got the upside potential here. There's different programs that run that, and it's it gets pretty complicated, and pretty, uh, <laughs> but it's very interesting. I mean, as far as like how they. You know, the analytics, the tech side has yeah. all run together. Sure. But again, they're still using an average. You yeah. still can't get away from the anomalies that can happen as far as weather and everything else. It's still using the averages and yeah. everything else.
1: Well, and I think, too, it's, it's just covering that risk. You know, you mentioned in the forwarding contract stuff, like nobody's come. Like, you never, I mean, sure, you're going to plant every acre if you're physically possible. You know, if it's, if it's physically possible to do so. But, you know, guys have very fresh memories of some years when that necessarily didn't happen. Correct. And um, just the modern crop insurance system, I think, makes folks feel a little more comfortable about that. Then, you know, there's so much legacy. You know, we talked about our dads and and forward contracting. And and they also didn't have the kind of crop insurance system that Correct. that we have in place today. So there literally was more risk you Correct. Know, um, out there in, in, in some of those historical Thought processes of of forward marketing too. Correct. So I mean, you do have you know if you're out there aggressively
2: marketing ahead of ahead, and there's some kind of pro- problem that happened, there are you know the crop insurance that that yeah. tie into that to help protect that. Sure. Um, and I and I think that uh, several of our originators actually have you know they sell crop insurance as well as as, as being the originator. Um, I know of at least one of them, um, but that. You know, is a perfect example of someone that you know, like, hey, what, yeah. what should you tie in here? Yeah. so sure. So that you, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody that's overly aggressive, and then you know, how aggressive should someone get? Um, you know, on their marketing if they're
1: only insured, you know, sixty so. percent. Right, right, right. So grains is a game of volumes, um, obviously. Like. I guess overall, I, I kind of want to get out of you, like what, um, like how do you market differently based on your size, I guess is what is kind of sure. where I'm coming from. Like, you know, if you farm a hundred acres, do you market differently than if you farm 10,000 and kind of what does that look like as you like go from a very large grower, maybe to a very small grower? Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily change percentages uh,
2: that I would say, you know. Um, it's just a lot smaller volume when you're talking about you know like a smaller producer versus a larger producer. Um, but typically, if you're a larger producer, you there's some you're talking about you know someone that, that the farm that has five thousand acres of corn and their average yield is is two hundred bushel. Will they swing a big stick in the market? Um, <clears throat> you know versus someone that you know farms a couple hundred corn and and, and maybe it's 150 you know it's not saying that one's more important than the other I'm not saying that but it's just when you you know we use our volume to leverage buyers for sure uh, as a company so you know Producers do the same thing, uh, whether it comes to buying seed corn or fertilizer yep. Yep. Or, or anything. So, yep. um, so there is a little bit different, and then also it just depends on how those you know acres. Like I said, uh, you know, the one that farms 200 acres might own it outright. It might be something that they you know, um, they, you know, they don't have any land costs. They don't. Right. They're not leveraged. Whereas someone that's you know cash running. You know the vast majority of their acres and they're paying a high cash value on that yep. you know you've got to figure that in as far as what's your price per acre so yep. i mean what what's what's this cost and, and you know the the cash value of uh, cash rent value for that for that farm that you're renting definitely comes into play sure. right so the one that farms 200 acres three dollar corn might be anything above three dollars hey i'm profitable uh whereas um, you know, someone that's that's farming 10,000, it might require four and a quarter to make sure that they can say some kind of profitability. So the one that's 10,000 acres definitely has to be more proactive, in my opinion, in looking out forward and being aggressive where profitable values exist. Whereas someone that doesn't have is a fairly low cost per acre, you know, they can wait and try to see if they can hit a home run. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't uh, at least minimize some risk, but they at least have the the flexibility to say, hey, listen, you know, I'll sell five dollars if I can. I'll forward anywhere where I can see five dollars. I've got plenty of bin space to hold it. You know, I, I don't need you know I don't need to chase anything. Yep. They have the they have a the easier time to do that, and and that's what I'm saying. You know, it's really knowing your customers, um, and so even the even our 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 staff that maybe isn't quite comfortable with grain they at least know that farmer's operation. Hey, you know, this is, you, you know, you're farming this many acres. What's your marketing plan? You've got to be fairly aggressive. So, or knowing what they're, you know, uh, you know, it's a very sensitive topic when you start talking about what's your cash needs, farmer. I mean, no, no, I know. Yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. But, you know, that, that does come into play. Hey, how cash strapped are you? You know, is this something that, how, how, how much do we need to sit back and really really wait or do we need to be an aggressive uh, marketing plan and then, or taking advantage of some of these, you know, structures where, you know, we can achieve a higher cash value but there's more risk involved in the sense that you can get doubled up if it hits a certain value or you can get knocked out and then you're forced to go into the market but those kind of programs I would probably encourage someone that's highly leveraged, uh, farms a lot of acres, you know, maybe has the equipment but to move it themselves. You know, well, let's let's be aggressive on what we're doing, and let's not focus on what we're going to do next month, but what we're doing next year, and yeah, you know, and and make sure we have an aggressive marketing plan from that standpoint.
1: So, I think that's a good good place to kind of transition just to into a few minutes of, of kind of like thirty thousand foot market outlook stuff for this year. It, it seems like so one of the things I've kind of noticed right now is um, it seems like the there's a big spread between old crop stuff and i assume that's a supply issue versus versus looking into the new crop i think personally i'm going to give you a personal experience here it, it makes you nervous about forward marketing much of that right. newer crop because you're like well i could sell it if i had it now i could sell it for this why is it so much less in the future um and so can you talk about it a little bit is that a normal spread that you see every every year or is this a little different um yeah, it's going a, into this year
2: so this is this year's a a different beast than what we've normally seen uh because usually um uh, we haven't seen a, like a demand driven market like we have cuz our crop take you you know, had some some problems in Iowa um mm-hmm. you know and south and south uh, west Missouri would tell you that yep. that was not a good crop right. so don't no. talk about a good crop cuz yes. i don't want to hear it yep. so um but nationwide yeah we had a good crop um, And then to see prices uh, or as much volatility in a high supply high supply year is very it's strange, Um, but a lot of that comes down to the export demand that we've seen, Um, specifically China. You know, but you know it's a world market, so yeah, there's you know, uh, and and so like I said, this this has been a different year from that standpoint. So the reason why we're seeing uh, crops worth more today than they are for new crop is because the market is under the impression that we're going to run out this year. And of course, new crop resets the button every year. So um, there was a uh, little kink thrown into that. Uh, Last week, we had the uh, prospective plantings in the March 1 stocks report. Uh, that was on March 31st. And and so, you know, the trade was expecting somewhere around 93 million acres of corn. And uh, the USDA said somewhere around 91. Um, so that was a big hit. So we saw that spread narrow some. Right. Um, but that spread's probably going to stay for at least a while. Unless we have just a ton of export cancellations that dump a bunch uh, and put the market in a good carryout situation. So and that's what, you know, the the focus on the trade is, hey, where's that carryout number? You know, where is that dangerous? So as far as how much, you know, you know, if you're looking at it from an accounting standpoint, you know, what's my liabilities, what's my assets, you know, where all right, so this is how much I have going out, this is how much I have coming in, what's that net value? It's the yeah. same way with the corn, bean, wheat balance sheets. So uh, where do we sit at, and do I feel comfortable with that number? Sure. And what the market's telling you is that, whether you're talking about beans or corn, we're not comfortable with that number. So we're going to put a higher value for the farmer, or the commercials, to sell it now mm-hmm. to get it moved now, versus later on. That doesn't mean that you know five dollar corn or four fifty corn for new crop is a bad value. It just looks bad today. But, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It just looks bad <laughs> if I said, hey, would you sell me 450 corn? Price is all relative. So, yeah. um, you know, that's what, you know, I, it was roughly um, a little over a year ago where we were doing kind of district meetings before COVID really ramped up at the yep. end of February. And, and so, but we were seeing values already tank, you know, that already Gone down just for you know because COVID reasons, but it hadn't really hit us here in the statesides yet. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, and so you know the board was down. You know I don't know if it was you know three fifty or somewhere around there, and but it had been at four dollars, but we were not getting traction at four dollars. So and we're not, of course. You know now when you were talking to a producer, it's like three fifty. Um, but I said, you know, if I told you I could pay you $4, that looks like a really good value today. Mm-hmm. Right. And you all would jump on that. And that's as human nature, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a deal over here. Sure. So it doesn't mean it was a deal. It was just a yeah. deal today versus, you know, we've, right. we've seen that price. It didn't get you all excited before. Um, so that's to say when we get two new crop, Four fifty might be a hellacious price. Yeah. I don't know. It might be five dollars. But right. you know, it's just one of those things where price yeah. is always relative and that's where, you know, revert yeah. back to what's your cost of production? Yeah. How much do you have sold? You know, you know, let's lock up some profit if you're naked. You yeah. know, let's let's make sure you're locking up profits so that you're not forced into I need cash. Right. So let's not put yourself in that situation. Yeah. So um, yeah. So those are one of those things where, you know, just going back to the basics of yeah, what what's your cost of production, you know, where is it made, where's profitability at, and let's make sure that we're taking advantage of that, yeah. or at least putting targets into sure. where realistic targets. Like, hey, you know, yeah. we're always going to have gambling bushels, I'm sure, in the bin that mm-hmm. you know, even when you know beans got to eighteen dollars. There were still beans in some farmers' bins, so yeah. Yeah, they right. they were, yeah, they were waiting for twenty. Yeah, they were waiting for twenty. Yeah, so and if I prices be the go guy to who sells twenty, and yeah. if yeah. the beans go to twenty dollars, I guarantee you there will be beans on a farm somewhere.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. I uh, want to be the guy who sells twenty-two dollar beans. Exactly, right. <laughs> so, which which I, I
1: don't know. I, <laughs> I I know, and it's it's funny to laugh about. It. And you're exactly right, Eric. It's just it, it boggles my mind because my goodness, like I can't. I, yeah, I wouldn't last that long. I wouldn't make it to $20 beans. If I had a bin full of beans at 15 16 bucks, $16, i would be like, yep, that's, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a difference, I guess, in the way people think. And all those, yeah, those price reports then, I just, I wish they wouldn't show you those other prices then. Of, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like I said, hindsight's always twice. Yeah. I mean, you can go yeah. back and look. But, yeah, I know. But that's what,
2: staying consistent oh, oh, is what I would say as far as encouraging people to make sure, knowing what their cost of production every time, and then encouraging them to lock up profit, you know, and and you're gonna have, you know, and so well you can say that every day, like hey, anything over four dollars, they're gonna make money, so they should be marketing every day. No, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that stair it. So, mm-hmm. you know, lock up, you know, that four fifty corn because you're locking in fifty cents, uh, you know, a bushel there in, in profit. But then, you know, take it if we see four sixty five, sell some there, and yeah. then you know. Yeah. Um, so it's just stair-stepping it up and then yeah. but it's it's mostly getting people comfortable with like hey selling per bushel increments don't think about yeah. like I'm selling 5,000 bushel or 2,000 bushel or 10,000 bushel yeah. whatever it might be yeah. you're selling two dollars the acre or two, two bushel to the acre so yeah. and then we're going to do four and then we're going to do six and then hey listen we got a big jump let's jump that up to 25 so you know and get to the point where Hey, by the time, you know, uh, by the time end of August rolls around, hey, I've got, like, almost 100 bushels sold. Yeah, but we've been selling along the way. And sure, if you get towards June and we have a dry spell and, like, hey, this is a little unstable crop, you know, we have a little bit better. Maybe we put the brakes on marketing mm-hmm. anymore and you're mm-hmm. only 25% sold. And sure, that 25% might look ugly when you get there. Mm-hmm. But if you're staying consistent with that, you know, for those, for those time frames
1: you're going to win because most of the time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, it doesn't matter what the old crop and stuff is worth. If you don't have any, you know, Correct. It's just like, <laughs> well, there was yeah. a reason why corn went to $8. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like we didn't have
2: enough.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's yeah.
1: that's the reason why price does what it does. Right. Yeah. That's sure.
0: simple economics of I mean, yeah. supply and demand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Bars of gold can be worth $50 million. And if I, if I it doesn't matter because I don't, I can't go home and pull any out of from underneath exactly. my bed and, <laughs> <laughs> and sell them. It would be nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Anything else you want to, we probably should wrap this up. And then I think what I've determined as, as looking as how long we've talked, how much I've learned and, and the questions that we asked, we, you probably should be more of a regular guest, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) as, as we try to wind it down a little bit, um, anything else you want to mention as far as, as looking further out, you know, kind of in, into this next crop year a little bit, any, any. No,
2: I mean, I'm glad you brought that last question up because I think that that's important is that whenever you're faced with like huge, huge inverse, well, why, you know, my corn's worth, you know, over $5 today. Why would I sell it for less than that in the future? Yeah. Well, like I said, price is relative to the time it's the, you know, you're at. So um, it's it's to encourage guys not to go into this thing, you know, still be disciplined, you know, keep a discipline, you know, at least uh, price targets in mind. Um, if you're, you know, and and, and not to sound like a broken record, but you know, as long as you're maintaining profitability, then that's, that's ultimately the goal. Sure. I'd love to see farmers make, you know, $4, $5 a bushel on their, on their grain, Uh, but you know, in reality, if we're marketing for that, then I'm not, then I'm not planning you for the future. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I've heard from several producers that, you know, seven, $8 corn ruined their marketing plan because they or maybe consistently selling out forward, but they missed the opportunity for as many bushels as they had to, to take advantage of 7 $8 corn, and so it ruined their marketing plan for the next, you know, seven years, that they mm-hmm. still haven't gotten over that. So um, there's going to be missed opportunities. There always are, but, you know, if you stay disciplined, you'll come out yeah ahead, certainly, over the course of time.
0: Yeah. 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 For sure. I'd say, you know, just... Kind of summarizing from what I've learned today and stuff is, you know, it's very important to understand the price breaker, uh, cost production for a farmer. They need to understand that so they have an idea of, you know, what their whole inputs are and where they need to be able to market their grain to be profitable. You know, and that comes with a grain marketing plan, like we've talked about, you know, having that piece. But also, um, just going full circle on some of the other things we've talked about is just having a cropping plan, too, because that helps you put together... And understand what your input costs are going to be for your seed, yeah. your um, fertilizer, your plant foods, and your CP. So you have you know you have these plans put together so that when you go into a year, you have a good idea of what you're going to be expected and what you know in case things come. You know we may have a drought, and so those things can be changed or whatever. But at least you had a plan set, so you were able to be prepped for it, and so you know you weren't surprised um, at the end of the year. So, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well said. It's just there's there's a lot of business that goes into it too. We all love the um, tinkering with the planner or the you know watching stuff come up, and um, we all love killing weeds. But uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's it's a business, and you got to know where your bottom line is if you want to stay in business. So, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been awesome. I, yeah, learned a ton. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for, for no problem. jumping in on us appreciate here. appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, cool. Yep, hopefully thanks, hopefully everybody else listening out there has, has learned something too, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Yep. Thank thanks. you.
0: Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.